We're finishing up the book of James today with the remainder of chapter 5. The topic James closes with is prayer. And um, after all the topics that James has addressed through this text, prayer seems appropriate. That's because without prayer, all of the other topics that James addressed would be impossible for us to be able to apply to our own lives. Quite often, we read something and think, I can do that, and then we actually try and find out that it's not as easy as we thought it would be. But we know that everything James talked about, it, it, it's convicting, it's challenging. The interesting thing is that James was the first letter written to the Christian church as a whole. It wasn't any specific church, but to the Christian church as a whole. So all of Paul's letters came after James' initial letter to the churches. He was basically setting a foundation of Scripture for the church to follow. He was calling them out on the issues that they were having. He was challenging them to live lives for Christ. And now he closes with the idea that we need to be in prayer. And it's important because without prayer, we can't achieve much of what he talked about. We need to be in constant communication with the Lord, whether it be in prayer and we are praying, lifting our heart up to him, or whether he's responding to us through his word or maybe through someone else that comes up and shares some scripture or shares what God has put on their heart. Or it may even be the still small voice of God speaking directly to us, which he does if we listen. Quite often we're distracted by the noise around us, by everything going on. And since Cheryl and I are empty nesters, it's a lot easier to hear things in the house and uh, so we listen for the still small voice and it's still a distraction because you have, you know, phones ringing and text messages coming in and, or the TV on or even music playing in the background. It can be a distraction from hearing what God wants to say to us. But James addresses it here that we need to be in prayer. So today's message is titled, practice prayer. We conclude our study through James beginning in chapter 5 with verse 13, where James writes, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is everyone, anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So the first prayer uh, is mentioned for people who are suffering. And there are many different types of suffering. You can have divorce or depression. Natural disasters can cause suffering in people's lives. A prodigal child can cause suffering. Finances, sickness, mourning. There are many other things, I'm sure, that even in your own life, you have something that you thought of as um going through this list, whether I named it or not, there is something in your life that you have experienced 
suffering with and or may still be today or maybe tomorrow. It, it's inevitable that we're all going to suffer and it doesn't matter if you're a believer or not. It rains on the just and the unjust equally. So we all experience many of the same things. And so if you experience suffering in your life, don't think, wow, this is unusual. It's not unusual. Suffering is something very normal for humans to experience. But notice here, we're told, let him pray. Quite often, when we think of suffering, we think, I I need other people to pray for me. Um, I'm going to put this out on the prayer chain. All those things are good. You know, you want as much prayer as possible if you're going through a struggle or if you're going through a health problem. As much prayer as possible is good. But at the same time, we're told, let him pray and her if you're a her. So it's speaking to us individually as people. We need to take responsibility and go to our Lord in prayer. Prayer begins with the person who's experiencing the difficulty, the suffering. What does God say about our level of faith? It's, it's our level of faith that's challenged here. Are we praying because we know that we ought to? Or are we praying because it's just what we're supposed to do? Or are we praying because we know God can answer our prayers? You know, and quite often... We'll enter into prayer because it, it feels like, well, that's what I got to do. I, I've, I know I'm supposed to pray. And, and that's what's, you know, it says that I'm supposed to pray. So I'm Well, that's okay. If that's what your initiative is, that if that's what your motivation is for prayer, that's okay. Go ahead and do it. Pray. Because God knows your heart. See, the problem with humans is that we all have our own answers. We all believe that we know what God wants from us or how God wants to speak. We, we all know. Man, I'm 57 years old, so I've got it down by now. Man, and I find out every day I don't because God put something new on my heart. And it's like I missed that before. I I missed God speaking to me in that way because I've been so focused on what I want to do or how I think things should go. And quite often, the way I think things should go is the worst way. And sometimes God lets me do it anyway. And then he says, how was that? How did that work out for you? Okay, well, he doesn't really say that, but I feel it. I feel like, okay, that was me. And I really needed to listen to what God had told me in the first place. Quite often, I hear what God says, but it isn't what I wanted to hear. So I'll do things my way. And then I'll go back and do them the way God wants. So so now it's much easier for me to do things the way God tells me the first time because now I know. I've been through it. And I know that Every time I do it my way, I'm disappointed. Even if it works out. Even if things appear to work out, I'm disappointed because it could have been better if I would have given it to the Lord and let 
him work it out his way. So one way we demonstrate that we accept the Lord's will, we accept the Lord's intervention in our lives is through prayer. If we don't pray, we're not accepting the Lord's intervention. If we keep our mouth shut, we're basically saying, I don't need your help, Lord. I can do this on my own. And, you know, God will let us. He's not going to say, no, you're going to do it my way. No, he's not going to do that. He's going to allow us to do it our way, learn from our mistake, and then maybe next time we'll go back to him and lift up our prayer to him. The next statement is about cheerful people, that they should sing psalms. Cheerful people should... I love having cheerful people around me. You know, don't you love when someone's cheerful around you? You don't want to hear negative stuff. And, and so you're looking for people that bring cheer, joy to your life. I live with a person like that. My wife is full of joy. She's constantly singing. And, and you know what? When she sings, that song gets in my head. And the next thing you know, I'm singing it all day long too in my head. I don't sing it out loud because I have neighbors, but I say, I'm constantly singing it in my head, and it brings joy to my life too. So it's a good thing to sing and to praise the Lord, but I believe in suffering, we should sing and praise the Lord also. It's not mutually exclusive to those that are cheerful that they should sing. I believe that suffering can be alleviated through singing, through praising the Lord, through demonstrating joy for what he has done for us. In verse 14, James said, that if someone's sick, let him call the elders of the church. In every church I've ever been in, when someone's sick, someone drags that person up front, you've got to pray for this person, they're sick, and they need prayer right now. Okay, let me pray for you first. And then I'll pray for them, okay? Because, you know, maybe they didn't want to come forward. And I don't want someone to come forward if they don't want prayer. But I hope that every one of you that gets sick does want prayer. Because prayer works. Prayer heals. And prayer can give us strength during our weakness, our sickness. So... I hope that you come forward. But there's a, a, an ownership to it. Let him come forward. Let her come forward and pray. Notice that it's not saying that the elders should be seeking out people that need prayer. The pastor, I don't go around looking for people that need prayer and prying into people's lives. You know, hey, by the way, I... I Saw this. I saw you speeding. You need prayer. You know? Okay, you need a lot of prayer because you were really speeding and you cut me off. And, you know, that's not the way we're supposed to be praying. But if I see someone in need of prayer, if someone is downtrodden, if, someone, if I can see it on their face, I, I will go up to them and ask them, hey, how's it going? What can I do for you? You know, is there anything I can do for you? And I hope they ask me to pray because that's what I want to do. I want to help in those troubled times. So if a person who's sick doesn't 
ask for prayer for their sickness, then you have to question if their faith is in line with healing. You know, uh, you know I, I want to pray for you, but if I'm not, if I'm thinking God's not going to heal me, you know, well, he may do it despite the fact that I'm thinking that way, but it has to start with the person that needs the healing too. There has to be a certain level of faith. I believe, I mentioned Ray earlier, that he just went through brain surgery on Monday. Sunday, he went into the hospital not feeling good, and they said, you have something that needs to be removed, and Monday, he was in there having it removed. And they were saying, well, he may be able to talk, he may just a few words, or what. He came out talking like me, and um, except clearer. And, and he made more sense. But I had a conversation with him, and it was awesome, because you can see that the Lord's hand was on him. He could clearly articulate his thoughts. There were a couple of times where he couldn't find the right word, and I still have that problem. And I do this all the time. So it was awesome seeing how God works in people's lives because even the doctor mentioned when he came out and talked with the family, he mentioned his faith. He said his faith is strong and that's going to get him through. That's a, a, a key ingredient to seeing someone healing faster and, and recovering quicker. And that's exactly what we saw. You know, if I, if I didn't see the stitches, you know, in the head, I would have thought, you know, what, they, they're just joking. They didn't do it because I was able to talk with them clearly. But someone who's not walking with the Lord may not want someone praying for them. And that's up to each individual. So I'm not going to force myself to pray for someone if the fact that they're willingly living in sin now, they may know the Lord, they may know the word of God, but if you're living in willful sin, then you know your prayer isn't going to be heard. You know, we, we can't think that we can continue living in sin and God is going to be okay with that. We need to clear up the sin before we can go to the Lord and receive blessings from the Lord. We cut off the, now that doesn't mean we're unsaved. That doesn't mean we've lost our salvation. But we've lost the line of communication between us and God. And, and so that's why we need to be in constant communication with him so we don't get caught up in that situation. So James alludes to that in the next couple of verses, starting in verse 15, where he says, And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. See, interesting, the prayer of faith will save the sick. It doesn't apply to everyone who has faith. It doesn't apply saying that if this person has faith, they're going to automatically be healed. That's not what it's saying, but it's the beginning of it. The prayer of faith will save the sick, not salvation as in all of a sudden they're saved because they were sick and now they're saved. But it's not saying 
that if you have faith and if you pray, that your sickness will automatically go away. Many problems with that. Because we have so many examples in the word of God where someone is sick and prays and doesn't get healed. Paul is number one on the list, right? He prayed for healing three times. And the result was God saying, my grace is sufficient for you. And we know that Paul lived with whatever his infirmity was, the thorn in his side, the buffet of Satan. He lived with that the rest of his life. And he was okay with that. But many others also had illness. How about Timothy? You know, Timothy, Paul told him, go ahead and take some wine for your stomach. And so we, uh, you know, hear that and say, well, that is what his problem was. He had stomach issues. But Paul also said, um, for your stomach's sake, and for your frequent infirmities. Timothy had frequent infirmities. So was it because he was in sin? Or was it because he had frequent infirmities and God was using those infirmities to use a man that was experiencing infirmities, but despite his infirmities, he was able to lead the church? And I believe that was the case. We have people like Epaphrodites who uh, was sick, and Paul sent him back to the Philippians with the letter saying, here, I'm, I'm sending him back, but he was sick unto death. And, uh, you know, he, he just continued, he worked himself to death almost, but I'm sending him back to you with this letter. And then um, we have Trophimus, who was left in Miletus, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he was left there because he was sick. So these are people that are believers, they're followers of Jesus Christ, they're workers for the Lord, and they had sickness. And Jesus also addresses the idea that faith is not the issue of some sickness in John chapter 9 verse 1 where he says, And now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. You see, Jesus isn't saying they were without sin. Jesus was saying it isn't because of sin that he was blind. He was blind because he was going to show off the works of God because here he is as an adult and he was born blind and now Jesus is going to heal him. And Jesus was showing that he had the power to heal and he also shared there that it wasn't because of sin. And at that point, the Pharisees went crazy because it was a Sunday or a Saturday, actually. It was the Sabbath. And he said, you know, the Pharisees said, what? He's healing on the Sabbath. And they tried to get him on that. And the Jews had established the law. You can't heal on the Sabbath. You know, I don't think Jesus was bound by those laws. And uh, obviously, he can come and do what he wanted to do. But 
God's not looking for us to follow a bunch of rules so that we can be saved. It's not by following rules that we get to heaven. And even though we know that, even though we know that it, it is, it's grace, you know, we still try to follow rules. We, we still do it because that's, as a human, that's our natural inclination to do things, you know, to demonstrate our faith or to demonstrate our, um, our righteousness, you know, to be righteous in Christ by what we do. But it's not about following rules. Jesus came to save us, and because we did, he did, we live our lives for him. That's why we live our lives for him, because he saved us. Christianity is not about following rules. It's all about following Jesus. In this verse and in the next, James addresses the idea of sins being forgiven and healing coming through prayer. And this implies that some sickness may actually be because of sin. In verse 16, he says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Notice that sin should be confessed to one another. Not, I know that that person's sinning and I'm going to confess it to everyone. That's not what this is talking about. Sin is confessed between two people. It's shared, I have sinned against you. I have trespassed, and I want to clear up the air. That's the way sin is, is supposed to be confronted. James says, confess your trespasses, meaning that your actions were sinful, and you are the one that's supposed to go and confess. Sins need to be addressed directly with that person that was impacted by the sin. And you can address them directly. Oh, yeah, you can pray to the Lord, Lord, forgive me for doing that, but it's ten times better going and praying with them and letting them know. Because if you're praying to the Lord, you haven't really revealed your heart to the person that you've sinned against, that you're asking for forgiveness. And that's necessary part of healing. So it says that they should pray for, to one another, with one another. You see, one's praying for forgiveness, one's praying to be forgiven. And that you pray for one another. And Jesus tells us how to handle the situation when someone sins against you. In Matthew 18, 15, he says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be like a heathen and a tax collector. Nothing against tax collectors if that's your profession, but I'm just quoting Jesus here. Notice Jesus didn't say, if someone sins against you, tell everyone in the church. You know, start there, and then we'll work our way down to that person. 
No, we start with that person. And he believes in being discreet when it comes to addressing sin. And he also believes in forgiveness because he's forgiven each one of us. Whether you need it or not, you've been forgiven. All of you need it. Me too. But all of us need forgiveness. So we remember the woman that was caught by the Pharisees in adultery. And after Jesus finished writing in the dirt and there were no accusers there anymore, women, where are your accusers? There are none. He said, go and sin no more. You see, he forgave her completely, but he told her to go and sin no more. And really, that's the attitude that we need to have. Now, it doesn't tell us what happened with that woman's life, what she did for the rest of her life. That's not important. But at that moment, she had been forgiven of her sin. And she was entering into a newness of life at that point. And any time we go to the Lord and ask for forgiveness of sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's what we need on a daily basis. Because when we're out there in the world, we're bound to get caught up in some kind of sin, whether it's just anger, bitterness, frustration. It could be many different things. Or it could be the same thing over and over again that God wants to cleanse from our lives. James finally tells us in verse 16 that the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The word fervent means enthusiastic. The effective enthusiastic prayer. And that's the way we should be in prayer. You know, when I know that someone is going to bless me, I'm enthusiastic about being blessed. You know? I mean, uh, you know, we, when we built this place out, um, this was a bunch of different rooms all throughout the whole facility. And the guys came together and we're going to, you know, tear this place out and everything. And I was enthusiastic about it, but I knew that I couldn't do it alone. And I prayed about it and God brought a bunch of guys, pastors from all over the valley, came up here with the guys from here. We all got together, and we tore it out in one day. It was amazing. Everybody was shocked that we were able to achieve so much in one day and cleared everything out. It, it, all right, knocking things out is the easy part, but you still need a lot of people to do it. And we did. We had what we needed, and it was just you know, through prayer of knowing God was going to take care of it. He was going to make everything work out. And that's been the story of our church from the beginning, six years ago, that God continues to work out the details. And we just continue to meet and teach on Sundays and Bible studies, and we're just very blessed because it's prayer that continues to get us through everything that we've gone through and everything we're going to go through. So we can fervently pray for others also. Forgiving others, even if they don't come to us and ask for forgiveness, we can forgive them. It, it's much better when they know. 
You see, because even when you ask for forgiveness, if you don't receive forgiveness from the other person, you can still have that burden taken off of you, carrying around the, the burden of the sin, of the transgression against the other person. You can still relieve yourself of that burden because you did what you were supposed to do. You were supposed to go and ask for forgiveness, and you did. And that relieves you of the burden. If not, it's going to fester. It's going to just stay, and it's going to act as a weight on your shoulders. And, and it, there's always going to be that trouble between you and that person. But if you go, they may forgive you. And so you feel forgiven, and they are released from it because they forgive you, and now you've entered into a new phase of your relationship and your friendship. It's healed, and now you can trust God to continue to heal all the damage from that in the past and go forward from there. It's always best to just anything that is weighing on your heart, reveal it. It may not even be that you sinned against someone else. It may be that they sinned against you. And instead of holding the bitterness in, it's always best to go and share it and say, you know what, I, I just want to raise this with you and let you know how it made me feel. How it, They may not even know. They may not be aware of it, but at least you can share with them and see if you know, there's healing there from there. If not, it's okay. You did the right thing, and it's going to cause healing in your heart. Verse 17, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain in, on the land for three years and six months, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Elijah was a prophet, and so he had the back phone to talk to God, right? No, he was a man just like we're, we're all human. We have the same access to God. Especially now, in this day and age, see, when Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. And the veil was torn from top to bottom, opening up access to the throne room of God through the Holy of Holies from that was keeping us separate from him. And now we have access and we are able to communicate directly. We can come boldly before the throne of God. And that's what he wants. He wants us to come that way. So our prayers are heard the same way that Elijah's was. Now, please don't go and pray for a three-and-a-half-year drought. We have enough problems here. The rain was nice last night. We got the rain. Isn't that great? But you know what? Someone has been praying for a lack of rain because we went a long time without it. So, guys, start praying for rain, and we'll see uh, what God will do with that. But it's an earnest prayer. I believe Elisha knew that was God's will. See, the thing is, we can pray for things that aren't God's will. You know, Lord, I need that new, you know, that new infinity. Uh, you know, I need it. You know, because I got a big family and I have, I need that big infinity. I, I, you know, he's thinking Dodge Caravan and, and you know, we're thinking, you know, and, you know, we have to be in line with his will. His plan. I'm going to give you enough money for a Dodge Caravan. 
you get yourself the infinity, you're going to be hurting. And, you know, so that's how come we, we have skinny kids. No, I'm, that's not true. I, I didn't get the infinity. <clears throat> but we know that if our prayers are in line with God's will, that God does the work. And that God will answer our prayers, but he still wants to hear them. It, it isn't about, well, I know that this is God's will, so I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to expect it to happen. No, we need to still be part of it. He wants us to be involved, and he wants us to pray, and he will answer. When we're told that, you know, that we can get the desires of our heart, it doesn't mean that he's going to fulfill the desires of our heart, any desire that comes upon our heart. What he's talking about is that he wants to place his desires in our heart so that when we pray, we're in line with his desires. And he is able to provide for what we really need because our desires are in line with his desires. So when he prayed, the earth opened up and it produced fruit again. Prayer produces fruit. Prayer produces fruit. Maybe not even for your own life. You may be praying for someone else. And then you see fruit in someone else's life because of the prayers that you've been praying. Finally, James closes the letter with an inspiration to those who know someone who's backsliding. And probably most of us in this room know someone that's in a state of backsliding. Backsliding is someone that knows the Lord but is deciding to walk on their own without the Lord. In verse 19, James says, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. See, James here is addressing every Christian. He says, brethren. He, he uses that word over and over again in the scripture because he wants every Christian to know that he's speaking to them. Brethren. And if any Christian wanders from the truth, this means someone who's a believer who doesn't live like it, who doesn't demonstrate what they believe by how they live. And they're walking in faith of their own. They have faith in themselves. And they've kind of lost the connection with God. They don't apply the truth of the Lord to their own lives and they wander around on their own. If another Christian goes to the backslider and calls them out on it, leads them back into a relationship with the Lord, they've saved them from destruction. Well, that gave me a room for pause there. Just for a while I was thinking, well, hold on. We're talking about Christian, right? Once saved, always saved. You know, so if you're saved, you can't lose your salvation. No one can pluck you from the palm of God's hand as a believer in Lord Jesus Christ. So what is this talking about? Is James saying that we can lose our salvation? 
It's a tough question. But I believe the answer is found in who is saved. You see, there are many people that come into the church that act like a Christian, that believe that the Bible has good instruction in it, but they haven't received the Holy Spirit. And so they're not being led by the Lord, they're being led by instruction. And you can be led by instructions in the Bible and people can confuse you for being a Christian if you're just following everything that the Word of God says. I'm not saying stop following the Word of God. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that it's not here, it's here. It's not what we know here, it's what we know here. And how it impacts our life completely. The problem is, too many of us have it here and haven't let it impact our lives. We haven't applied the scripture to our lives in such a way that it's demonstrated by our life. I can tell someone what they're doing wrong, I can call them out on their sin, but in all honesty, I'm in sin because I am just being a judge. James talks about that, that we're not to be judges, but here we're called to lead someone back to the Lord, someone that has lost their soul. So going back to my question, how can a person lose their salvation? I don't believe they can, but those that decide to walk on their own, I don't believe were actually saved in the first place. Because I believe that anyone that receives the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior will never be able to walk away and live in the world again without the strong conviction of the Spirit. I know I was one of them. When I got saved, I was sure that I was the next Billy Graham. And everyone around me knew that I was saved. Everyone. Every one of my friends in high school, they were like, well, we were out of high school at that point, but every one of them, all the things I used to do, now I wasn't doing anymore, and I was telling them they were going to hell. And it wasn't well received. Mainly because they knew me. They knew who I was. And up until a few years before my mother went home to be with the Lord, after 25, 27 years walking with the Lord, my mother finally think, okay, maybe it's stuck. Maybe he really is saved. Maybe he really is a Christian. But it took years because she saw me growing up. She knew who I was. And so the thing is, I backslid. I walked in the world again. But there was nothing I can do where I took pleasure in it anymore. I, did, I couldn't take any pleasure in the world. And anything that I did, I was just not happy with. I was miserable. I was a miserable, saved person that was walking in my own will. And it was, for Christians, they just thought I was the funniest guy. Boy, I was, everything you wanted to do wrong, just follow Rick. He'll, he'll show you what to do wrong. And... And it wasn't until I heard the message of grace and I understood 
what I was doing wrong. I understood that I had it all wrong. I was trying to follow a set of rules. And although I was saved, although I invited Jesus Christ into my heart, I was just following rules. And I needed to change that. And I needed to receive the gift. We're at Christmas now. The gift is Jesus. He came and he gave us something that we couldn't earn, that we couldn't receive ourselves. We couldn't give ourselves. He gave us what we needed, exactly what we needed. And now we can have peace amidst the world that is going crazy. This world is just going crazy. I don't even want to watch the news anymore because it just makes me think this world is crazy. Who is doing these things? And it's all just on the news telling you who's doing it. And they're proud of it. And so if I were, um, if I were focused on those things, it would depress me. It would bring me down. But you know what? The good news is I'm not focused on those things because they don't matter. What matters is that I'm saved and I have the grace of God in my life. So we close with this thought. James calls us to practice prayer because it avails much. Prayer changes things. Now, you can pray for people and God is not going to force them into a relationship with him. They still have to make the choice. But you can pray for someone to have an interaction with the Holy Spirit on a regular basis, and God will honor that. And when you get the Holy Spirit in, some, in front of someone's face all the time, they can't see him. But when he's interacting with their lives all the time, it starts to bother them. And they start to feel like I'm missing something. What is it I'm missing? And that's when they get clarity. And the Holy Spirit gives them clarity. And they may repent. The power of prayer is able to bring a person to repentance. But it's not because of us. It's because of him. And because of the work that he's doing, the only way that that person, you can't talk a person into heaven because if you can convince a person into heaven, someone can convince them into hell and to walk away. And there are many people that walk away because they were convinced that the word was what they needed to follow, rules were what they needed to follow to get into heaven. So, Prayer is very effective. So let's practice prayer for ourselves and for the lives of those around us. We need to practice prayer. And we'll see the impact of prayer on the lives, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous person. And we are the righteousness of Christ. We are. And so the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And we can see the power of God impacting the world around us. Amen?